0: Hey, everyone, I'm Ben Norton of Multipolarista. And today I'm joined by a good friend of the show, the Pakistani scholar and writer, Janaid S. Ahmad. And I had on Janaid in April when there was a coup against Pakistan's democratically elected prime minister, Imran Khan. And for people who are interested, I'll have links in the description below. You can go back and listen to or watch our interview, a two part discussion about who Imran Khan is the populist uh, former prime minister who had this idea of the Islamic welfare state and caring for the poor. He also had this idea, a strong uh, nationalist tendency of emphasizing independent foreign policy. And Imran Khan said very clearly in April when he was overthrown in this coup that the U.S. was backing it. He said he got a threatening letter from the U.S. He named the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Donald Liu, Um, singled him out as someone who was involved in this coup. And we can talk a little bit more here about Imran Khan's foreign policy. Uh, He was actually trying to improve relations with Russia, and actually, unbeknownst to him, he was uh, visiting Moscow on the day that Russia initiated its special military operation in Ukraine, which surprised him, but uh, he refused to impose sanctions on Russia, which angered the U.S. Uh, he also had very good relations with China. And something we'll talk about today in this, in this interview is Imran Khan strongly supported Palestine. He refused to normalize relations with apartheid Israel. And he was improving relations with Iran and calling for the end to U.S. sanctions on Iran. And then, of course, there's the whole role of the war in Afghanistan. Imran Khan opposed the U.S. war in Afghanistan. He um, encouraged the U.S. to withdraw its troops. And then after the U.S. withdrew, he refused to allow the U.S. military to carry out military operations from inside Pakistan. So, so Prime Minister Imran Khan said very clearly this was a coup. And, you know, Janaid, when we did this, these interviews back in April, we did have some friends, including people on the left, who were very skeptical of that narrative and very critical of what both of us were saying, especially you. I mean, obviously, you, you live and work in Pakistan. They were very skeptical of this narrative that it was a coup. And now I think, you know, it's pretty much undeniable that it was a coup because the latest news is that this August, the coup regime has... At first, it banned the transmission of all of Imran Khan's speeches. He's been holding these very large protests against the coup regime. And then this August, the coup regime has now charged Imran Khan under its anti-terror law, accusing him basically of terrorism. And of course, there's no evidence whatsoever, the allegations of so-called terrorism are based on him criticizing the coup regime and corruption and torture. So I guess words are now terrorism, according to the coup regime. So that, that was a very brief overview for people who don't know what's going on in Pakistan. Junaid, explain the situation with the the so-called terror charges against Imran Khan. Talk about the protests that are going on. And what does this mean for the future of Pakistani politics?
1: Well, Ben, that was uh, an, an incredible introduction to the political developments taking place in the country over the past uh, few months. Uh, but, you know, people that are following it, it's, it's from, you know, one day to the next. New details are emerging of uh, what political shenanigans the current, uh, what uh, many people in Pakistan call the imported regime uh it is up to but there's one it seems like there's one overlying objective in what uh that re- this current regime is doing with uh and that we'll get to this later with the military high, the backing of the military high command and that is to target imran khan try some way to push him out of uh out of the uh, political arena and that is com- completely backfired. Uh, You mentioned the massive uh, protests and the outpouring of support, which in all honesty, and I said this before as well, when we did the interview, uh, I I don't even think Imran Khan himself anticipated that that type of outpouring of support throughout the country. Uh, That that was what was so remarkable uh, that it was not located uh, in, in a specific geographical area of the country, but throughout the country, which is actually pretty remarkable considering we have had political parties, which are more family dynasties that are fairly regionally provincially based. Khan's support and his uh, party support comes from all over the country. So, the, the, I mean, fast forward to this recent thing, we'll get into more of a deeper discussion, but but this is the most ridiculous thing <laughs> right now uh it seems like even if the current regime had some type of strategy to ostracize this uh, imran khan from politics uh forever i mean it is doing everything possible uh, to 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 completely uh fail at that so uh, on this specific issue imran khan had given a speech in which he was speaking about the the detention, the the imprisonment, and the torture of his basically his chief of staff, and he said that we will uh, uh, certainly launch cases against the police inspector general, against uh, another lower court judge that was involved. This is what he said in the speech, and lo and behold, he has. He is now put under the military. This is a military uh, law, the Anti-Terrorism Act. That's what the government puts. So it's so ridiculous and ludicrous to, to everyone. So much so, Ben, that the UN Secretary General also had to come in. You know, all of these international characters who were probably complicit in the regime change operation. Even he had to say that, look, you know, this is pretty farcical. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, 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 that this current government needs to kind of uh, to tone down a little bit. And I'll, and I'll also tell you this, Ben, if we are now following some of the Western media, I mean, I've been following, say, the New York Times, Time magazine, you see a narrative in which they are speaking about how, what this government, uh, along with the support of the of the military high command. I, I keep stressing kind of some of the core commanders, including, of course, the chief of army staff, Bajwa, because this is a situation in which the military is clearly divided and we can get into that later. So what they are doing is just so ridiculous and so heavy handed that they are simply increasing the popularity of Imran Khan. So, so this is what this whole terrorism thing is about it's it's now been it's now been considered as as a farce as a joke by virtually everyone right now.
0: Yeah, and I want to show just for people who are watching, I want to show just some clips of these massive protests that have been held by the PTI, which is the party of Imran Khan, and this these have been consistent since the coup in April. Uh, you have been sharing a lot of photos and videos uh, for for months this has been a sustained campaign which is pretty incredible because usually when there are protests like this they'll kind of die out after a few weeks but and ben, it, especially during the summertime in Pakistan Don't it's very hot that. i mean <laughs>
1: the heat has he been something is always horrible in pakistan so that, that that let's give them credit for that as well <laughs>
0: Yeah, for people who are watching, I'm showing a video clip here of this rally that was held this August, marking the 75th anniversary of independence from British colonialism. And this is just one of many rallies, but there are hundreds of thousands of people joining Imran Khan and the PSPTI party at these massive rallies. This has been going on again and again and again. So of course, this is why the coup regime announced they're going to be banning The transmission of these speeches because their solution is okay imran khan has these big protests we have to pretend like they're not happening so we'll just ban them that's obviously you know that's going to work to make them disappear and then furthermore we also saw that in july a very important development there were regional elections in punjab which is the most populous province and imran khan's pti party won 15 of the 20 seats so The point that you made is that even Imran Khan hadn't anticipated such massive popular support. Talk about these protests. You've been involved in many of them. I've also seen reports, uh, according to Tariq Ali, for instance, that at these protests, some of the people have been chanting, anyone who's a friend of the United States is is a traitor. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, anti-US sentiment, anti-imperialist sentiment. Um, talk about this massive grassroots uprising that we've seen in the past several months. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that. And I, I'm glad uh, our good friend Daraq Ali also mentioned that. This has been actually
1: an old slogan of of the left of in Pakistan. Sadly, the modern uh, contemporary liberal left in Pakistan has gotten quite uh, a lot wrong. Uh, in the context of what's been happening in Pakistan. And I say this, sadly, many of them are good comrades and friends. But uh, this has been an old slogan uh, in Urdu, you know, whoever's a friend of the United States is a traitor. Uh, but but of course, it, it, the, the relevance <laughs> in, in this specific context is, is pretty clear. I mean, this, this was, um, you know, as you said at the beginning, those people that wanted to, just completely dismiss this out of hand as if uh, and, and and demanding proof, right? Like, Ben, as if, yes, the U.S. government is going to and the CIA will provide some uh, some massive paper trail of what they, you know. So by this stage, even there, they have to admit or if they don't admit, at least stay silent uh, on, on this question because we, we have been proven correct. I mean, th- this was certainly a regime change operation that involved the entire traditional uh, corrupt mafia political class. It uh, included the corrupt upper echelons of the judiciary. And of course, most importantly, it included Washington and the upper echelons of the, of the military high command. But these, as you're pointing out, this was the uh, Independence Day. Uh, a massive rally on August—it uh, was or the, the Independence Day for Pakistan from um, Indian rule—was on August 14th. This was the evening of August 13th, going to you know midnight, August 14th. Uh, but it—but you know, I, as I pointed out in one of my pieces, normally you know on Independence Day you'll have these kind of local uh, get-togethers, etc. This type of thing again, you know, it, it, it's. Fitting this pattern uh, of uh, 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 since the ouster of Imran Khan of just these massive rallies all of a sudden uh, coming together. So, but but this one in particular coming on Independence Day, which is kind of the uh, one of the core issues that Imran Khan is emphasizing. That look. Uh, yeah, maybe the British flag came down in 1947 when we got, quote unquote, independence. But we have been undergoing a, a system of neocolonialism since then, caught in the Cold War, um, uh, you know, up until you know the, the Soviet Union collapse, And then from 2001, as many of our viewers will know, caught in the uh, war on terror, and particularly in the situation in Afghanistan. And that, then spilled over into Pakistan and caused incredible um, damage and, and and took a huge human toll. So this rally on Independence Day actually was meaningful. it meant something because it was uh, it accompanied a, a man Imran Khan, but beyond Imran Khan, a, a sentiment in which there was a real uh, a sense that we have now finally reached the point of a possibility of deepening that process of decolonization of that incomplete decolonization that we had in '47. So that, that this rally, this massive rally in Lahore, I think was was so charged. And again, I I, I remind our viewers that you know it's incredibly hot in Pakistan <laughs> these days. So at Lahore is one of the hottest cities. For them to come out, this was very much about affirming one of the core messages in terms of foreign policy that uh, Imran Khan has been articulating, and that is that we should have the right to have a sovereign, independent foreign policy. And This was one of the main uh, significant issues why he was ousted in the first place.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about the the current coup regime. It's led by this figurehead, Shevaz Sharif, although you have pointed out that really the military is in charge. And Shevaz Sharif is the brother of the former prime minister, Nawaz Sharif, who is extremely corrupt. He was in prison for corruption, but he was given bail to go get medical treatment in London. And he's just been hanging out in Britain, you know, living this very wealthy lifestyle with all the stolen money. So I, I've heard he's gotten much better, and now he's uh, he's ready to come back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you know, there have been valid criticisms of Imran Khan's government. It wasn't perfect. You acknowledged some of them in, in our last interview, including you know there were allegations of corruption. This is a country that has struggled with corruption for a long time, but it's nowhere near the level of the open, flagrant corruption that we're seeing now, where Shabazz Sharif, the current prime minister. He was actually under investigation. He was charged with corruption. And basically, my understanding is that the courts just like stopped the charges and stopped the investigation to let him be unelected prime minister. We also see that he he delayed the elections to next year, a year from now in August. So there have been no elections. This coup regime has no democratic legitimacy and we've seen an economic crisis. We've mm-hmm. seen that the International Monetary Fund, you know, the US-dominated US neocolonial instrument of Wall Street's economic power, the IMF, has basically been trying to, like, give some kind of bailout. But also there's been massive. My understanding is there have been cuts to subsidies and cuts to social programs and prices of everything is inc- are increasing. There's horrible inflation. Average working people just can't survive right now. So. Talk about the current situation right now under the government of Shabar Sharif slash the military.
1: Right. I mean, and, and, and Ben, here, here's the situation where it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the most idiotic because, you know, you would think that this regime in the context that it comes, um, you know, in, in, in the scandalous conditions that it arrives on the stage that it would, uh, and it knows, you know, that, and then seeing these outpouring of demonstrations for Khan, that it would try to do something, some types of policies that may ameliorate the suffering of the poor and the marginalized in the countries. Instead, these guys have just they, uh, one single focus, and that has been <laughs> trying to get Imran Khan out of the picture, somehow isolate and get him out of the picture. They haven't, uh, uh, assassinated him yet? Probably, which would be the easiest thing. Uh, but but they they've tried almost everything else. In addition to trying to uh, disenfranchise uh, Pakistani voters who are either in the Gulf or in, in uh, abroad who have always had the right uh, to also uh, participate in elections. And you're absolutely right. Along with his uh, patron and chief, the chief of army staff. Uh, General Bajwa, They are also conniving different ways to postpone the elections uh, uh, to, to to next year, so August next year. Who knows? Even maybe even longer. When right now, as you pointed out, you know many of uh, our friends uh, dismissed that Khan had any popularity anywhere. Then we learned that uh, in uh, the province of KPK, which is the province bordering. Afghanistan, where the Pakistani military operations went, mass displacement, huge human toll. We saw the largest rally in, of support in, in, uh, for Imran Khan take place in the, in the city of Peshawar, um, in the history of that province. So massive support there, okay, that's KPK, that's that one province. Then you come to Punjab and you point out he, their by-elections takes, uh, take place here. And he probably would have even won more seats, eighteen seats, uh, if if not for some some bad organizational techniques on on his own party's part. So he's now in the Punjab, in the heartland, which is considered kind of the province that really where the real power lies. In Karachi, the other mega city, the industrial financial city, his party is doing extremely well. It, I mean, th- this is again, I, I I have to stress that. Uh, you know, I have a lot of criticisms of the party um, and of Khan himself, but they—they they really, for the first time that I can remember, are a genuinely national political party. They are not based on some type of an ethnic uh, identity that that traditional political parties have been based on. So I think that they, they are developing a, a base. I, I, I do want to point out that. At this particular point, uh, I think that Khan himself has acknowledged a few times of many of the mistakes that were made, particularly the one um, where he felt that in order to come to power, there were a few electables, you know, the old uh, political, um, the old politicians that have come into power, that have, you know, they have their constituencies and so on. Um, and they brought them along. But I think this experience, however dreadful it was, uh, and his concocted regime change uh, from Washington, in some ways was a blessing in disguise because it also allowed Khan and others to see uh, many of these characters involved in in the PTI movement as as these kind of uh, corrupt uh, traitors. Um, who basically went to the other side. So I think there's many lessons to be learned uh, from from Khan's first experience. But uh, but at the same time, we must remember the two main political parties that are part of this uh, new alliance, these are family dynasties and they just happen to be the two richest families in the country, which means, Ben, they are throwing money left, right, and center to judges, to police forces, to even the you know the forces that they can buy off in the military, but the one big uh, difference this time, why at least until now, thankfully, we have not seen mass repression take place of of of, of the supporters of 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 Khan. Um, so I, I want to say the supporters of Khan and those who detest. What this new regime represents—that third, the old thirty years of so-called civilian democracy that simply plundered and pillaged the country—so our viewers should understand: it's a combination of yes, uh, of of have of, of trusting, of having some trust in Imran Khan as being a man at least uh, of of integrity, of dignity, being an honest man who may get it wrong many of the times, but still stands. Um, uh, you know, mountains above the rest of the political class. So I think that our viewers should understand that, 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 that there's an incredible resentment of what transpired uh, before. So at this particular point we have that, that we're reaching now is Imran Khan's popularity is only increasing by the actions undertaken by this government because they are just foolishly obsessed uh, with with him I mean, it's kind of like the the, the Trump phenomenon in, 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 in the United States. They, they, they're just so obsessed with him, with Imran Khan, and they're now getting out terrorism charges against him. So it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and and he is becoming more and more popular. This government is becoming, I mean, completely, I mean, discredited in the eyes of ordinary Pakistanis. As you mentioned, the Sharif brothers, Shibaz Sharif in power now, his older brother, Nawaz Sharif, was allowed to go out of the country even though he had so many corruption cases. But again, now we find out that that was also General Chief of Army Staff Bajwa that let him easily slip out of the country on supposedly medical grounds. So Khan, we have to understand, is up against a lot. I think I mentioned this before as well, but he is up against a lot of powerful forces with a lot of money and all he has is the people behind him this is the situation we face right now ben
0: yeah i mean that's definitely uh very clear from the desperation of the coup regime they they it's clear they don't have the people behind them which is why they have to resort to these extremely undemocratic measures authoritarian ben, measures ben they, they don't
1: even they don't even show themselves in public i mean yeah. this is literally i mean uh, this uh, this character has been made the foreign minister bilal uh, but Bhutto, I mean, you know, the, the he would be the grandson, yes, then of, of Zulfiqar, the great Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto of the 70s. Um, he's the foreign minister now. Again, a joke. You know, I mean, I, Ben, this is a country, our viewers should know, 200, now more than 220, maybe even 240 billion, uh, nuclear armed, you know, a serious country. And you put these clowns in power, and this guy's the foreign minister now. They can't, I mean, they tried to organize, uh, he had visited the United States, of course, he met with Blinken and, and all of this. They tried to organize a talk by him at uh, Columbia University. The Pakistani Student Association refused <laughs> to host that. Uh, you know, normally you have some pride in, the, in your nation and you want to host the foreign minister, but re- refuse. And in Pakistan, if they come out in public,
0: God knows what, what will happen to them. So
1: this is literally the situation.
0: Sorry yeah. I interrupted you. Uh, no, I mean and, and I'm glad you mentioned Bilawal Bhutto because you know he has that that last name uh, that's associated with the left, you know, that he's from the PPP, the Pakistan People's Party, which claims at least historically claimed to be part of the left. It's been neoliberal for many many years now. But the fact that he's giving the rubber stamp to this illegitimate coup regime, yeah. it, it says so much about this kind of like center liberal left Pakistani political class that you know is pro western and criticizes you know Imran Khan and absurdly tries to compare him to someone like Trump it makes no yeah. sense and and actually i wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea this ideology of his party the PTI Imran Khan talks about the idea of the islamic welfare state right. you know he's not a socialist but he does talk about the importance of helping poor people fighting poverty and he created anti poverty programs And right now, the people who have been hurt most of all by the coup regime are poor people. Here's a report in Bloomberg. Pakistan inflation surges to 24.93 percent. So we're talking about nearly 25 percent inflation, along with food inflation at nearly 29 percent. This is the highest inflation in 14 years in Pakistan what is the economic situation like for a lot of average working people? Can they even afford to get food? And, you know, now the IMF claims that they're going to come save the day with a one point four billion dollar bailout. But of course, the IMF has a long history of that and it's never let it's never led to any change.
1: And of course, the conditionalities of that loan, are of course, uh, not mentioned, which will be which will further exacerbate. Uh, the suffering of, of people. Oh, it's 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 horrible. Ben. Uh, the it, in addition the devaluation, which which often happens in this case of of the of the rupee of the Pakistani rupee of the currency. Um, it, it it is I have never seen such a situation um, in 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 Pakistan in my lifetime. It it is really bad. Where I mean the poor are just, I mean, forget about it. But even, you know, working class, lower middle class, middle class people, it is getting impossible uh, to live in that country. Again, there is incredible wealth, you know? I mean, Ben, this is the same story in many Latin American countries that you're much more familiar with. Incredible wealth in these pockets. Um, and, and and you know, the as I said, just by chance, the two dominant political parties, which are basically fi- family dynasties—House of uh, Sharif, the Sharif brothers, and the House of uh, Zardari Bhutto, um, they happen to be the two richest families. But their money, what they're spending on right now, it's—or you know, even being in government—is not on trying to uh, on, on social programs to uh, uplift the poor and so on. They're spending it on buying off judges, <laughs> on poli- buying off senior police officers, etc., to harass, intimidate, uh, and even torture, sometimes even murder um, the supporters of Imran Khan. So th- this is uh, this is the situation right now. So, as you say, it's 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 an incredibly um, dire s- situation for the ordinary people in Pakistan, which of course is. Is uh is adding uh you know fuel uh to the support of uh Imran Khan against these you know mafia gangsters who are in power that you know that they already know. These people have never cared about uh, uh the ordinary people in Pakistan. They have always uh lived in their own bubble and cocooned themselves. And and, and again, I, I'm sure you know the, the similarities with many other uh, countries of the global south have cocooned themselves. Uh, from 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 the misery of the rest of the population uh, in in Pakistan, and sadly enough, we have had uh, an intellectual class, uh, certain sections of, of liberal intellectual class, uh, that uh, really don't. These issues are not the issues for them. I mean, they have their 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 issues are are you know, something else, you know, and, and but 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 not this. Martin, the, the fundamental class divide. Uh, in Pakistan, which, as you say, it's not like Imran Khan was a uh, is a socialist or anything, or maybe you know, hope, maybe one day he will become one. Um, <laughs> I have to admit, this guy is kind of learning. Uh, you yes. know, is is on the go. I mean, he's he's uh, as as the regime change happened, he's learning about okay, what are <laughs> I say history of U.S. regime change policy because uh, he, he has been very politically naive about these things. But I think that th- there's there is. Um, you know what they call what a good friend called Imranophobia, in the sense that he, because he speaks about uh, many of these things, maybe from a uh, from a Islamic vocabulary, Islamic welfare state, the city of Medina, where there needs to be justice, not just for Muslims but for everyone. I mean, he he has done the most for minorities in Pakistan in terms of restoring temples, Sikh uh, Sikh uh, temples, Gurudwaras, etc so uh you know i think that in some ways uh i may have mentioned this before too ben there uh is it's it's a very unfortunate situation in which uh, many of our progressive friends um are somewhat envious of the fact that so many people are attracted uh to him and a message of, of 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 dramatic change from what they've had before And that, uh, sadly enough, uh, our left is not big enough uh, to take ownership of.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a a situation we see in many countries, unfortunately, where the left repeatedly makes these mistakes. And I I should also say, on the subject of the coup potentially moving Imran Khan uh, further to the left, or at least maybe kind of um, making his politics a little more adversarial, even potentially kind of revolutionary, this is exactly what happened to Hugo Chavez. Of course, he, he was a very strong left-wing you know, progressive nationalist when he came to power, but it was the 2002 U.S.-backed coup that briefly overthrew him that radicalized Chavez and made him a socialist, and he started talking about socialism in the 21st century. Very similar situation in Honduras with the 2009 mm-hmm. coup against Manuel Zelaya. So there's a history of these U.S.-backed coups. in in some ways strengthening the very same kind of people that they try to overthrow. Um, But, you know, I I know we don't have a lot of time with with you today, so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about a bit more about uh, Imran Khan's foreign policy. Yes. Um, So I will link in the description below to an article that you wrote back in March that I published at multipolarista.com. And in, you were warning about this uh, several days over a week before the coup succeeded. The, you know, there were all these warnings, signs that there was going to be a coup against Imran Khan. And uh, the article that, that you published is titled, Pakistan warns a foreign backed regime change attempt to disrupt China-Russia alliance. And you go through all the different points in this article, why, uh, there, you know, the regime change operation was organized. Imran Khan opposes U.S. foreign policy. He's an anti-colonial voice on the international stage. He deepened Pakistan's friendship with China. He also improved Pakistan's ties with Russia. And this is a photo here of Imran Khan in Moscow on February 24th, the day of the beginning of the Russian military operation. Of course, he didn't know that was going to happen, but uh, he refused to condemn it like many countries in the Global South that have been neutral. On, in this in this Western proxy war against Russia. He refused to impose sanctions. Also, India, of course, which, you know, historically is has had very uh, adversarial relations with with Pakistan. Even India also has refused to impose sanctions and has continued doing business with Russia. You also talked about the importance of Imran Khan's leadership in the Muslim world, um, Pakistan's gradual challenge to Saudi led hegemony in the Muslim world. Um, the fact that Khan couldn't be simply controlled by the military. And then finally, a very important factor, Imran Khan's unequivocal support for Palestinian liberation. And this brings me to an article that I wanted to bring up that I think is really uh, a very important piece that was published at Middle East Eye, titled, Pakistan and Israel, Normalization a Hard Sell, But Narrative is Building. And this this report discusses how since the coup in Pakistan, of course, Imran Khan was always firmly against normalizing with apartheid Israel, unlike some of the Persian Gulf monarchies like uh, the UAE Bahrain. So uh, Imran Khan was firmly against that. And this article discusses how since the coup, there there have been a lot of media um, media, uh, you know, narratives pushing for normalizing relations with Israel opinion pieces in major newspapers social media you know influencers and journalists and they also talk about this meeting that was organized by an israeli organization that brought uh pakistani dual citizens and even a a major pakistani journalist who's not a dual citizen um ahmed they visited apartheid israel and this led to a big scandal in pakistan so talk about the attempt by the new coup regime to inch toward normalization of relations with Israel.
1: Right. So so there's there's a lot there Ben because I mean in some ways uh as the article does you kind of have to combine all of these factors to then see why it's pretty obvious that they want this guy out of out of the picture. Um but but yes, I, th- there are some uh more salient <clears throat> factors involved in terms of, uh, of Khan's foreign policy. I do want, once again, to emphasize to, to viewers that, look, Khan, Khan's, in some ways, Khan's uh, perspective on, uh, on, on, on global politics uh, emerges right at the beginning of the American uh, uh, global war on terror, and that is his uh, principled opposition to uh, the war on terror, and especially the war in Afghanistan, on ground and especially drone strikes us, yeah most of us share that one it's illegal and it's immoral uh, and uh, takes a huge human toll and two uh, that it's counterproductive it, it was fueling militancy not just in Afghanistan but in Pakistan as well And so uh, we, we must remember that Khan that goes back all the way to 2001 and just an interesting. <clears throat> Point I like to uh, I always like to make look um when Biden came to power, and uh, uh, throughout uh, uh, while Khan was in, in in power, Biden Biden did not make a single phone call to Imran Khan, uh, which is astonishing considering, in August of 2021, the Americans needed the Pakistanis to facilitate the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, many of the American soldiers uh, stayed in hotels in Islamabad, yet he refused to call. And my, my own sense is that this, this is this is not really about Biden. It's not about, it's the American national security state that that still, I mean, just cannot fathom the idea that Khan was right. <laughs> there was no military solution uh, to, to what's going on in Afghanistan. And they detested, they've always detested. Uh, Imran Khan. So I think Ben, I think that's also important uh, to point out that even before he came to power, Khan was someone who had a very principled approach against uh, b- against basically war mongering. Uh, he's always said he, he, to, the, uh, to the United States, I mean, this guy will give every single interview possible to CNN or whoever wants him. And you'll say that I'll be your friend in peace but not in war. It's very simple. So anyways, that was even before then. And I think that uh, it's important to recognize that the American national security state never forgave him for basically being right <laughs> about what happened in Afghanistan. Uh, beyond that, uh, whether it was his uh, position on, on, on Kashmir, which was again, um, it, Pakistan, of course, has always had a position on kind of defending Kashmiri rights, etc., And and, uh, and, and being in opposition to India's position on it. But he went a step further on that, um, very popular amongst the Kashmiris, and even said that, look, you know, if Kashmiris want independence, which was never in the UN resolution, that they shouldn't even be allowed to have that. I mean, immensely popular in Indian-occupied Kashmir, Ranthan. Khan. The other things you mentioned as well, his ties with China. I mean, and, 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 and very, very good personal relationships. With the leaders of China and and then of course Russia, when he went to the Beijing Olympics, which of course many of our uh, <clears throat> Western uh, the Western countries boycotted, including the United States, he he was one of the leaders warmly received there, and that is where um, Putin very warmly invited. I mean, if, uh, you know, many of us know about Putin. He's uh, <laughs> you know he's his own person, but you know he developed a, a very close liking of Imran Khan and. Pakistan desperately needed energy, wheat, all that it could get, because Pakistan has been in dire straits as well, even during uh, Khan's time. And and, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, he lands in Moscow. He has no idea what's going on. He has no idea that this this thing is going to start with the Ukraine. But immediately, the West starts to demand that he denounce uh, Putin and Russia while he's just landed there in, in Russia. And of course, he goes back. They sure they send him a letter saying, "Okay, now you're back. You can denounce them." And he basically, you know, tells them to go fly a kite. I mean, this is, uh, you know, do you believe in any sense that we uh, countries of the global south have any sovereignty of ourselves? It clearly seems like it, it, they don't believe that. Uh, so, so that was certainly one thing. I mean, you know, now uh, just recently, this assassination of uh, of uh, Zawahiri in in in, a, in Afghanistan. You know, in some ways, the U.S. signaling well. You know, the war on Muslim terrorism, et cetera, that's over now. The real war now is against uh, you know at the um, the the peer competitors uh, like uh, like Russia and China and Eurasia, et cetera. This is the war we're moving on to now. Zawahiri was kind of the last. It was a complete public relations show. The guy had next to no influence anymore. Al Qaeda's presence in, in 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 Afghanistan and and Pakistan is, is next to nothing. These guys, Taliban, are, are having to deal with, and the Pakistanis are having to deal with ISIS. Most of the Al-Qaeda folks are now in Syria, as, as you're probably aware um, Ben. So this was a, a public relations stunt. But one interesting thing about it was that that drone missile uh, went over an, uh, uh, quite a significant amount of Pakistani airspace. That would never have happened. Under Khan, and we are actually fearful that that's just the beginning. Who knows? Maybe bases again in Pakistan, uh, American bases in Pakistan, and and the whole lot of it that we were uh, used to and that we detested during the war on terror. Uh, but 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 so so that the 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 Russia-China factor uh, is a huge thing, and Khan's personal relationship, which of course you know, characters like Blinken and all of these could see that, you know, this guy has a really good relationship with these countries. That was certainly part of it. Uh, but, but, But you're right. The Palestinian issue, that was irritating the hell out of everyone. You know, I mean, not just, of course, Washington and Tel Aviv, but all of those Muslim Zionist regimes that were trying to get other Muslim countries on board to normalize relations. And on this issue, um, of course, as you mentioned, I mean, I, you know, I, I have my good friend, um, uh, the angry Arab, Asad Abu Khalil, we, I had uh, invited him to Pakistan once, and, and he says, wow, I've never seen a more pro-Palestinian population uh, than, 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 than Pakistani. So to affirming the point you made earlier. However, we had sections of the elite during uh, when Khan was in power, both the military and civilian elite that were more than willing, uh, just like these Gulf regimes, to normalize. And now you see that uh, that uh, that narrative being pumped into the media again. That hey, it's not such a bad idea. This is part of an interfaith thing. That uh, you know we we shouldn't be against Jews, etc. All of this nonsense that the Abraham Accords represented in in the first place. So so on that on you know I mean if it was just that point, I think that. Only on that point, they would they would want him out because that he is going against right now, as you know. The tide, the tide is that we want all of these countries, these Gulf regimes, and the Gulf regimes with their immense wealth and power and influence will put pressure on other Muslim governments to also normalize. And Pakistan is a would have been a huge prize, right? I mean, it's the only Muslim country with nuclear weapons, huge military, you know, for, formidable uh, in in many ways. So that would have been a huge prize. Khan was the impediment, the sole impediment uh, to that. So I, I think you're absolutely right, Ben, that uh, the the, the is unequivocal support uh, for Palestine consistently uh, all the way to the end. You know, it was very funny. The um, he hosted uh, the Organization of Islamic Conference uh, summit right before he was ousted uh, in March, and uh, and of course he he once again affirmed. That's no, there will be no relationship with Israel until they give Palestinians uh, their right to self-determination, and of course that embarrassed many of his uh, his hosts that were that are in the process of of, of warming up and cozying up uh, uh, to Israel. So I, I, I I'm totally in agreement with you that ha- that was certainly a central issue.
0: Yeah, and and I should stress in addition to being the the second largest Muslim majority country after Indonesia. Pakistan is the the fifth most populous country on earth. This is a very significant power, very large country. And having such a large country refuse to play ball with u s. imperialism, refuse to normalize with apartheid Israel, it, it has a big influence internationally. I should point out that this was an- another piece of evidence that it was clear that it was a coup when it was happening back in in April. The head of the military, General Bajwa, he said, quote, We share a long history of excellent relationship with the United States, which remains our largest export market. The UK and EU are vital to our national interests. And then General Bajwa criticized Russia, which is something that Imran Khan refused to do. And many countries in the global south refuse to do. It's not just Pakistan. The majority of the global south has been neutral on this war, refusing to take the side of the west. Right, and this proxy and, war, and, was and this, this, is right after this. He's still the civilian
1: prime minister. He has articulated the position, and the next day, Bajwa, I mean, if it if it, it it can't get any clearer than that, Bajwa The next day issues a statement clearly contradicting the position of the government of 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 Imran Khan. Uh, so, but I mean, this the chief of army staff. Sorry to interrupt again, Ben. But he, I mean, the it's become clearer and clearer that his role in all of this has been central. This is because many of our liberal and progressive fans say, well, this was all a constitutional process, a simple vote of no confidence that was, I mean, in, in a matter of weeks, all of these parties that have hated each other, have come together, and the judiciary. So it, it, it's its a joke now. Everyone knows this was a, a planned regime change operation. But one point that I do want to emphasize Uh, before this interview is over, is that in in some ways for the first time in the history of the country, you have serious divisions within the military itself. The uh, General Bajwa, Chief of Army Staff, and a few of the high upper um, corps commanders and high command, uh, they are the ones that are clearly, you know, they are taking orders from Washington. They are going along that uh, playbook. However, um, amongst uh, not middle ranks, junior ranks, and of course soldiers, and let me add retired officers, my God, Khan is incredibly popular. And I I was saying this earlier, one of the reasons why they can't just send them all in because they're very afraid that these uh, officers, soldiers, et cetera, may turn their guns the other way (laughs) against against their superiors. So this is a very interesting situation where a civilian prime minister uh, who in the past, whenever they were ousted unfairly, fairly or whatever, no one cared for them because they were so thoroughly corrupt and incompetent, et cetera, that they didn't mind a military ruler coming in. It wasn't a big deal. This time it is a big deal, not just because the the public is supportive of him, but even within the military uh, and soldiers who... Khan was, you know, again, Han was opposing sending these soldiers, these young folks to go out and basically attack their own people in the Northwest. And so immensely popular even within those ranks. Uh, uh, so first time in the history of the country, we have a civilian prime minister who is more popular within the, within the armed forces, uh, within the military than the chief of army staff. So a lot of historic firsts have happened uh, since Khan was ousted from power.
0: Yeah, I, I I would estimate that I would guess that probably the only other Pakistani prime minister in the history since it was formed in in 47 that was overthrown by a coup who was popular was probably Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. And I know that in his speeches uh, in the lead up to the coup in in March and April, Imran Khan specifically drew parallels between the coup against Zofikar Ali Bhutto and the regime change operation against him, and of course we know now that the the U.S. and the Brits, the Britain, Britain was involved in backing that coup against Zofikar Ali Bhutto because of his support for the Soviet Union and and other issues. So um, I know I know you have to go soon. Um, so I have two final questions here to wrap up. One, um, one I just before we started this, you were talking about uh, the fact that you know. Um, I should have said this earlier, you know, you're a professor, you are director of the Center for the Study of Islam and Decoloniality in Islamabad, and you increasingly have been doing more academic work in China, and you were talking about the fact that some of these same kind of, uh, you know, bourgeois liberal elements in Pakistan who maybe claim some fidelity to the left but tend to be out of touch with the working class, they also sometimes are very pro-Western and will take this very anti-China position. Can you talk a little bit more about the popular perceptions of China and maybe some of that anti-China sentiment that you've seen emerging?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, th- this all of this, in some ways, uh, you're connecting the dots here. I mean, uh, and, and, and they fuse together in the sense that many of um, the critics of Khan, um, uh, particularly on foreign policy grounds, uh, and and many of them coming from kind of these liberal uh, intellectual circles, and sometimes, unfortunately, even from the left, um, is that why is he becoming closer to this Eurasian project uh, led by Russia and China, et cetera, and uh, distancing himself from our traditional (laughs) relationship Uh, with Washington, which was a relationship of subordination uh, to the demands of Washington in the Cold War and afterwards. So this is a major issue. And and I think that you, of course, have done a phenomenal job consistently speaking about this issue where, even in Pakistan, these same folks speak about what? Chinese neocolonialism. And So uh, all of these decades, we never heard the term used by the United States, which was sending in uh, actual people from uh, their Harvard economic advisors that this is the policies you must do, um, actual troops, uh, actual drone attacks, et cetera, et cetera. We never heard that term used for the United States, but all of a sudden, the liberals and the left, they're talking about Chinese neocolonialism. And so, this then forces, uh, you know, it compels one to ask the question what is this really about? Is this about, uh, you know, genuine kind of looking at uh, the, the material circumstances being uh, either improving or deteriorating for people? Or is it about just a, a type of an elite attachment to a, a project that they have? been a part of, that they have links with, etc uh, for for many, many decades. And I think it is the latter. I mean that is my view that they they just cannot conceive of that. And the the uh, the part about Chinese ne- neocolonialism that um, becomes incredibly, incredibly racist at, at many levels where, uh, in terms of the Sinophobia, um, at so many levels, it becomes uh, incredibly racist. Uh, and so this, uh, you know, I always say this uh, to people uh, in Pakistan. You know, where is uh, has there ever been a Chinese uh, 1492 that we've had to deal with? What have the Chinese, done, you know, done? You know, but but yes, there was a 1492 that the world, the global south, had to deal with. Uh, for the past 500 years of of a complete kind uh, of you know pillage, plundering, raping, etc., where is that Chinese one? There isn't one uh, right now. So it's 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 now this narrative is being invented by forces within Pakistan as well as of course outside. Uh, and 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 we're talking about uh, uh, Ben here funding from the usual suspects, you know, the National Endowment for for democracy, uh, even the Saudis, uh, the Gulf countries, etc. To, to To basically promote this narrative that okay the Chinese are in, are here for you know their own neocolonial colonial uh, uh be, their own neo benefits etc all of this stuff so you see this narrative very much in that in that class and they do the, particularly the English speaking media have this type of ideological hegemony which is incredibly incredibly I mean depressing uh, whereas the people. Can see the fruits, right? I mean, this is the same thing in Africa. They can see the fruits of these incredible roads being built in, in, in remote areas. I just had, I just went to one uh and the the people were describing, wow, we had never done something like this ever in the history of Pakistan, which was built in, I mean, I think a matter of a week or maybe a few months. Anyways, so 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 we have this disconnect between these a, 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 a class of liberal intellectuals uh, and, and and elites, and sometimes joined by, by progressives, etc., who basically see, well, the, uh, yeah, okay, we're against, uh, of course, American imperialism, although, of course, they rarely speak about it, but much more so Chinese neocolonialism. So I think this phenomenon exists in other societies as well, but it's very, very visible uh, in Pakistan.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a trend that we've seen, especially uh, you know, it, it, the, the gears of this propaganda campaign have been greased by money from the United States, from Europe, from NGOs, from CIA cutouts like the NED and USAID. But I know uh, I know you have to go. So my final question here, the National Assembly in Pakistan, it is its term ends in August of 2023, which means that elections are supposed to be held, assuming that, you know, the the coup regime doesn't just continue extending that. Uh, without elections. So there should supposedly be elections in August or the latest September of 2023. Clearly, it seems that the coup regime's strategy is to prevent Imran Khan from being a candidate in those elections with these bogus terrorism charges. I I always hate asking guests to try to predict the future. But what do you think is going to happen with the elections going forward? Do you think there will be elections next year? Or earlier, if there are elections, do you think Imran Khan will be able to participate? If he's not able to participate, what will the response of the Pakistani population be?
1: Right, Ben. So let me dig out my uh, crystal ball here. (laughs) uh, You you know, uh, the the current government, as I've been mentioning, um, has been behaving in, in, in such, I mean, incredibly heavy handed and repressive ways. But so, but but also very ridiculous ways that are further exposing it as, as such a, a politically and morally bankrupt uh, regime. Um, so, which is all working in the favor of Imran Khan and and his supporters. So, their their demand is elections. They have resigned as 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 some of our viewers may know, en masse from from parliament. Um, they, uh, the 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 government is effectively not doing anything. Basically, it's not able to do anything. Finally, it's, a, it's able to get an IMF loan, which of course will have its conditionalities. So right now, the popular sentiment is we need to hold early, we need to have elections at, as soon as possible, you know, and it's uh, this October, November, etc. This, this is the <laughs> demand of the overwhelming majority of pakistanis that see that see this government uh, co- emerging from a concocted plot a regime change operation as entirely illegitimate so therefore why should we have to wait till august uh, for th- this to happen so there should be free and fair elections now if khan wins great if he loses okay but it's but they of course know very well that Khan is immensely popular right now, despite the fact that during his rule, he made many mistakes. He uh, could have done a lot, a much better job. And uh, is still the people uh, uh, think that, well, he can still perhaps do better this time. So the fact is the majority of the people uh, are calling for elections. Khan is calling for elections. Even some other parties are calling for elections because this is an absolute farce at this point. This government represents nothing. You can't step out. Without, you know, tomatoes being, uh, hopefully just tomatoes being uh, being thrown at them. So uh, my uh, my sense is that Shabazz Sharif, the current prime minister, is, is, is doing his best in conniving with the chief of army staff, Bajra, to uh, come up with all sorts of uh, tactics to discredit, delegitimize, uh, ostracize. Um, Imran Khan from the political process so that they can continue to stay in power but I I think that's becoming increasingly difficult I think it's becoming increasingly difficult both because of uh, massive popular opposition to this current regime as well as because internally within the military uh, I think Bajwa is now starting to feel the real heat uh, because, you know, these are many of these soldiers, many of them come from my town, et cetera. Uh, for many of them, it is kind of like almost uh, in, in the U.S., uh, almost like a poverty draft for, for for many of these. So they, they are also getting sick and tired uh, of, of of their chief of army staff. So my own sense is uh, that this regime which is both Shabazz Sharif and the chief of army staff together, let's, let's be clear. I think they will be compelled, um, unless they want to try to use massive force, which I think again will be counterproductive. I think they will be compelled to hold early elections and, uh, and let me just, uh, you know, uh, hope like the vast majority of the people, maybe Khan can have, uh, can come back to power and perhaps perform much, much better this time, uh, than he did the first.
0: Yeah. Well, I, of course, we don't know exactly what will happen, but I can assure people that here at Multipolarista, I will be following the situation closely. I'm going to bring back Janaid in the future to have great regular analysis and updates. We ha- I had the pleasure of being joined today uh, by Janaid S. Ahmad, who teaches religion and world politics and is the director of the Center for the Study of Islam and Decoloniality in Islamabad. Um, Janaid, it's always a real pleasure. Thanks for joining me today.
1: The pleasure was all mine. Always great to be with you, Ben.